You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable and fixed blade knives and game processing kits. Now, in my bag this year, I had the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit. It comes in a very compact, handy carrying case, and one handle has the replaceable blade knife and the gutting blade. The other handle has the saw that comes with it. So, I use the saw to split the pelvis, and I use the gut hook to open up the cavity and the blade to start cutting all the stuff out, right? So uh, it makes cleaning a deer very simple, very easy, and the the knife is sharp. And uh, if you've ever had to gut a deer with a dull knife, we all know how much that sucks. So um, take a look at the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit and uh, head on over to OutdoorEdge.com and enter the discount code NATION30. That's NATION30 for 30% savings on your purchase. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. I don't know about you, but uh, it is about, oh, 8 o'clock at night here. Uh, the kids are just getting ready to go to bed, and uh, I'm upstairs working because I am daddy daycare throughout the day, and during the evenings after supper time, I help clean up a little bit, you know, kiss the kids on the head, you know, ask them how their day went. Then I got to get up here and get to work, but I bring my friend Bourbon along. And uh, we have some good conversations uh, while I edit, while I write up the, uh, uh, the write-ups for my podcast and, and edit the other podcasts and launch the other podcast, do some social media work, you know, do the email thing. And uh, I don't know about you guys. Some, of, some people can handle a good bourbon. I used to not be able to handle a good bourbon, but uh, now I can. I have one little glass, one little glass, I'd say two to three fingers um maybe twice a week and uh, it gives me that warm feeling in my face and it makes me happy to be alive and it makes me happy to be talking to you guys uh today but here's what i'm gonna say nature is awesome it's an awesome thing and what i want you to do is to try to realize that i know most of you do in some way shape or form but the more people in your circle who you can get involved in nature outdoors maybe it's hunting maybe it's hiking maybe it's fishing maybe it's uh camping maybe it's just sitting around a bonfire crushing some bush lights and talking about your day with your friends 
That's being outside. And I'm telling you right now, if you have stress in your life, if you have pain in your life, getting outside can help resolve those issues. I, I, I've been in some of the lowest of the lows in my life. And the reason that I cannonballed into bow hunting was because it was at one point in my, in, in my life, like my saving grace, right? I was in a real low spot. I went bow hunting one night and it was just this perfect scenario. It was perfect weather, beautiful sunset. The animals were chirping, not a lot of deer that night, but it just hooked me like a treble hook right in the face and it ripped me. And now I am a bow hunter for life. And my goal is to not pressure by any means my children into bow hunting or hunting, but allowing them the opportunities to find their passion in nature in some way, whatever, whatever, whatever they want is where, where I will steer them, wherever their interests will be. Um, that's where I'm going to steer them. But I'll tell you this, I'm going to do everything in my power to help them understand that nature is awesome from the dirt that we get on our pants to the birds that fly in the air and everything that is in between. I know I'm kind of off on a rant right now, but I I tell you, it helps me and I hope that it can help you, right? So uh, I don't know, there's that. That's that's my soapbox uh, little speech for right now. But here's what we got going on today. My buddy... Garrett Armstrong, he is a uh, Whitetail Properties um, uh, land seller guy. He's that's a real estate agent. Um, but he had one hell of a season this year. The dude put three big mature bucks in the dirt. And uh, this is that story. This episode is his you know, his three different stories. Um, now I didn't get into the details like I would on an individual buck podcast, but, uh, what you hear in this story is something really cool. Patience, right? And it, it comes down to, Hey, guess what? Knowing the properties, knowing the terrain, knowing how deer behave on certain scenarios like crop rotation or heavy pressure from outside farms that lead to him making accurate calculated strikes on the deer that are moving through his property yes some of it has to do with the most recent information but also some of it has to do from knowledge based off previous years and that gut instinct that you hear us talk about a lot so uh, that is what we talk about on today's episode now we do have to do a commercial real quick and that's vortex optics this is a no-brainer i just got my new vortex optics um cal uh, cal calendar not catalog catalog in the mail and it is jammed pack full of stuff that is dangerous to me and i say that because i want every single piece in i don't even own any guns i have two guns i have a 22 for if i was to ever go squirrel hunting and then i have a uh, a shotgun that i use for turkey hunting it's a 20 gauge uh, i love that i've killed a shit ton of turkeys with it but this year i'm going to be putting on a a, a scope on that shotgun Uh, i have binoculars i have uh, vortex um, spotting scopes i have a range finder these guys have the right optics for you and it's all different shapes and sizes of optics whether it's for a gun or it's for hunting whatever they have it and it's badass high quality 
Um, customer service is amazing. The, you call them up with a problem, they will solve it for you. That is, that's like the bottom line. Every time you call, like if you have a problem with anything in your life and it's a product that you've purchased, you should be able to call somebody and they should fix it for you. That is what it's like when you buy something from Vortex and they have the VIP warranty, which means if you break it, you send it back to them, they will fix it and they will send it back to you. It's that easy. Uh, and that's uh, that's worth its weight in gold, if you ask me. It's like you, ne- you, you never have to purchase a new product from them or anywhere else ever again because you have a you have the ability to have a brand new product from them all the time with that VIP warranty if it breaks. So that's a win. And the last thing is, and this is just me personally, they came out with a new uh, tripod and I'm going to get one for my Western hunts. So for my, uh, for my mule deer hunts, I'm definitely going to be picking up a Vortex uh, tripod for, for that. So VortexOptics.com, go check it out. Other than that, I've been talking way too long. Let's get into today's episode with Garrett Armstrong as he shares his story about his three-buck season. Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Garrett Armstrong. Garrett, what's up, man? Not much, Dan. How you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Not as good as you, but I'm doing good, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think everybody uh, being the day after deer season here in Iowa, everybody's kind of catching their breath a little bit. I know. I know. It's uh, man. I, I I wish I could put more time into late season, but I just feel like I burned so many bridges throughout September, October, November, this year, December, that if I really wanted to get out and start, you know, really focusing on trying to shoot a mature buck during January, I think I might be living by myself. Yeah, I'm in that boat constantly. <laughs> it's 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 all about it's all about time management and days, yeah, right? Right. How do we how do we stretch it out the longest we possibly can and right. still stay married? Right. Absolutely. Um, so we're gonna get into all of the uh, you know all of the details about your season because you had a you had a, a season that uh, a lot of people wish they could have. But um, before that, you are you work for Whitetail Properties, correct? That's correct. Landowner. Absolutely. So, and this is more of a question for me: how how are land sales in the state or in the Midwest as far as uh, you know, a, a, an average Joe wanting to get you know wanting to pick up a farm? Sure. No, that's a great question. Uh, I, I would say that. 2020 for everybody was a, a bit of a unique year on, on all different levels. However, you know, the real estate market's been really strong during that time. And, and at Whitetail Properties, we kind of focus more on selling farmland and recreational properties, hunting properties, pasture, all sorts of rural properties. And what we've really seen is actually an, an increase in buyers um, into our market and kind of focused on some of the land that we sell. A lot of that is kind of COVID driven. Um, I feel like I've got a number of clients, new clients that are in some cases, not even hunters, um, but just looking to, to buy a piece of ground or buy a small hobby farm just in case we have another pandemic and they've got a place to escape to. So it's, it's actually increased 
the buyers in the market, which makes it definitely more competitive and, and prices kind of follow suit. So the market's been strong, but uh, with low interest rates and extra competition, we're seeing some of these land prices kind of hike up a little bit. Yeah. And that's one thing that I noticed uh, uh, was the land prices going up. Now, does a low interest rate help cancel some of that out? I mean, it definitely does. I mean, it makes these farms more affordable, even with a higher price. Uh, And now we've got lenders who are focused on um, different products and different lending products specifically for, let's say, you know, farms that don't have high income, you know, if, if the farm's 50% tillable and 50% timber, there's programs for that with minimal down payments. I mean, in some cases, as low as 15% down. So these farms become more affordable um, you, as you don't need as much cash up front. And then with the low interest rates, obviously, over the, the course of the loan, you're just paying less to the farm. So there's, there's programs that definitely help buyers of, of all different categories get into recreational farms. Right. All right. So this is, uh, this is a question I have for you about, cause I'm, I, I am, I'm not going to say I've, I'm actively looking to purchase land, but it's always some, it's a goal of mine at s- someday. And my question to mm-hmm. you is price per acre, right? Why is a, uh, a 10 acre farm price per acre higher than let's say a 250 acre farm? So there's some different factors in that. Uh, I, I would say first and foremost, a, a 10 acre property, there's going to be 10 times, five times, six times, however many more buyers that that farm is in their price range. So just competition alone is going to keep the price of the farm up on those lower acreage properties. Um, and then a lot of times on those smaller properties, people are looking for a small place to put up a Morton building or park an RV or a fifth wheel, maybe build a house or a cabin uh, in and on a smaller track like that, they're just willing to pay more uh, for that property. As you get into the bigger tracks, especially you get over, let's just say 160 to 200 acres. Yeah, that price per acre becomes a little bit more reasonable at that point. There's less competition, but you're talking about a, a much larger purchase at that point. So just by nature, there's going to be fewer buyers in the market yeah. that can afford a farm that's, let's say, a couple hundred acres or more. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh COVID, man. I tell you, there was times this year where I wish I had my own farm to go out and just kind of escape to. I mean, I could have went on to some public and, and you know, done that kind of thing. But uh, it would it would be nice someday to have uh, uh, that second Iowa tag. And that's a little bit of foreshadowing, right? That uh, that landowner's tag, that coveted landowner's tag that we all wish we had. Yeah, man, it's a, it's a nice one to have. That's for sure. Yeah. And it sounds like you took advantage of that this year, man. I did. I did. This was actually, this is the first year. Uh, we've had a farm now for a couple of years and, and last year was such a, I mean, just a rebuilding year, just trying to understand what was here, how to hunt. And I was doing so many different improvements to the farm. And I was, I felt like I was always on the tractor or always on a skid loader, just disrupting things and taking trees out and putting plots in. And I really, I didn't really hunt the farm much last year and really didn't have a deer I wanted to hunt this year things kind of settled down a little bit and, and really try to set aside some time to, to hunt the farm. And yeah, man, I got on a, got on a pretty good deer the day after Thanksgiving on that Friday after Thanksgiving caught up with one. Nice. So, well, I kind of, yeah. I kind of want to start this story 
Um, how long have uh, the property that you bought? How how long have you had it? So it would be uh, it was two years, two years this month actually in okay. January. Yeah, so okay. just like two year anniversary. All right, cool. I want to start at the end. You know, you mentioned today is the first day after the Iowa season is over. I want to yeah. talk about this day one year ago and coming out of the 2020, uh, you know, the, I guess then it would have been the 2019 season, uh, or yep. no, it would have been 2020, uh, January, 2020, uh, the 2019, 2020 season. Um, did you have any deer on the properties that you hunt, whether it was the farm that you owned or any other properties that you were really looking forward, like any good three-year-olds or four-year-olds that you were hoping would make it to this year? Yeah, I always do. And the funny thing, and I talk to, obviously I talk to a lot of, a lot of sportsmen and guys that I work with and everybody's always got these target bucks that they're, you know, wait that put another year on and hunt them the next year. I don't know what it is, Dan. I could have six, four year olds across however many farms I'm trying to hunt and, and I could pick up their sheds and somehow those deer always disappear. It's, I cannot explain it. And I have tried to be the guy that like catalogs all these deer and know which one I'm going to go after the next year. And it's like, by the time July, August or September rolls around the following you know year before the season, then it's like, I'm picking my target bucks at that point. I've just had a hard time finding a, a three or four year old 10 pointer. Let's say it's got a really nice genetics and a ton of potential to actually still have that deer on the same farm. It's like, I don't know what it is. It just seems like these deer are getting a little bit more mobile or they're just changing home ranges on me as they jump from, let's say four to five. Yeah. Um, but, but likewise, I'm also picking up new deer the same way. So it's a, it's a fair trade, right? You're losing some and you're picking some up, but yeah, it's almost like I wait till July or August to kind of set my sights on a deer or two at that point. Have you ever experienced any type of, what I would call a dominant buck vacuum where maybe, maybe you or, you know, a guy or, or a, a, a neighboring property where when they take out a mature buck out of that farm, there's a vacuum, right? There is a space where another dominant old mature buck can come in and rule basically. Mm-hmm. And that, that buck's going to come from a neighboring property or anything like that. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Uh, I have, I have, you know, I have, I have here in Iowa and really specifically uh, on, a, on some farms that I hunt in South Dakota is where I actually see that more. But a- absolutely, I think antler size and necessarily age doesn't always dictate dominance. Yeah. I think a lot of it's just the individual personality and characteristics of that particular animal. But I think we've all got those farms that have had like bully bucks on them that they're always just stomping around stiff-legged, you know, bristled up ears back just all year round, just pushing other bucks around. Yeah. And they're not always the biggest one. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think those are great deer to shoot, but it's sometimes it's tough to, you know, use a tag on those deer early in the year, even though that really is the best thing for the farm. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Do you think that the properties that you have access to are the power vacuum where, where if you take a mature buck on, they just reload another one comes in the next year or later in the season? Or do you feel like if uh, uh, a mature buck is taken off a neighboring farm that you lose your deer? Mm, Good question. You know, 
I think I've probably seen it both ways. I, I guess I've been fortunate enough that I try to have access to enough farms where every year is a different year, yeah. crop rotation, and where the food sources change so many things that if one farm's not hot, I may have another farm that's got more mature deer on it. So I guess I can't say for sure, but I, I do know that happens yeah. 100%. And, and I think I'm more on the beneficiary end of things where I feel like I'm picking up mature deer as opposed to losing them. Okay. Yeah, that's crazy. I used to think I used to think I had this all figured out, right? Like crop rotation and, and the food sources and, you know, if the acorns dropped a certain year or whatever that I could, I really figured it out. But the, the last, I'm going to say three years have been almost opposite of what my beliefs are in the past. So uh, in 2018, man, I, I, I thought, you know, crop rotation played a huge part in my opinion of how I harvested my deer. And then mm-hmm. 19 and 20, I was really looking forward to this season because of the crop rotation that matched 2018 and there, it was, it was flipped. It was almost completely different. The deer were not where they, where I thought they were going to be. Um, and who knows why, but it just kind of drove me crazy because I thought I had it all figured out. And then again, you know, here comes the curveballs, and everything is, everything changes. Right. Do you ever see, what about summer range versus like fall range, you know, some farms are yeah. better rutting farms than other. I mean, do you ever see that in your farms? Dude, I t- I'll tell you this. If I gave you trail camera pictures of all the bucks that I have on my main farm during the summer, you could charge anything you wanted for that property. But September hits, mid-September, they split. They break out of their bachelor groups. Like I had one year where I had, I'm going to say, Eight deer over four year old, over four years old on my farm, and a couple mm-hmm. of them were in that six, seven year old range, and they're just giants. And then September hits, and they disperse into other places. So, mm-hmm. based off of mine's the opposite. I think there's a real, you know, summer. The summer range is the is the core area for the summer range. The the velvet comes off. like the the dominant starts to become established and all of the deer go to different places and may i don't know i'm not necessarily sure why that is quite yet but it's uh it's not their core area during the rut but they come in and out all the time right for three days Mm -hmm. four days five Mm -hmm. days and there are some home bodies but uh it's this year was one of those years where i was hoping one of the the big dogs would come back and stick around but it just didn't it didn't happen that way um so right i don't know man it's uh just when it, i don't know how you feel but just when you think you got it figured out you don't yeah no doubt i, I one of the farms i hunt it's probably one of my favorite farms to hunt it's it's kind of similar to yours where all summer i mean my velvet pictures are just through the roof they're just yeah. awesome but typically and this farm's kind of an it's kind of at the end of a drainage if you will, if you look at like the system from, you know, a 10,000 foot view and it's always about mid to late October, about the time, you know, we're thinking about maybe getting that first cold front and you really want to put some time in the tree. I bet you like the last three years in a row in, the, in a row, I've probably lost my best deer. About that time they leave the farm. There's a, some big, big timber about as a crow flies, maybe three quarters of a mile away, mile away. 
And I think they just all descend on that. There's a ton of those over there. It's a really nice, highly managed neighborhood. And they're gone. Like, I'll lose them all November. And usually about for shotgun season, they'll, they'll roll back in. And that happened again this year. I've kind of been watching it now for the last four years. And, yeah, that's, that's a tough farm to hunt during the rut. They always leave, and then, but they're always back late. Yeah. And, and I kind of capitalized on that this year. Yeah. So let me, uh, let me ask you this. Um, you mentioned you have this new farm, right? What did you do this summer? whether it was cutting down trees, you mentioned you did a lot of uh, manipulation of the property. What specifically did you do to prepare for this upcoming season to improve that property? So this, uh, this farm, I'm kind of, that is kind of what I call like our home farm. It's actually the, the farm we live on. Um, it's kind of a nice balance. It's, it's about 30 acres of CRP and about 80 acres of, of timber and like timber pasture. A lot of it's just real grown up. It's always had cattle on it up until when we bought the farm a couple of years ago. So more than anything else, I'm just letting the timber right now kind of thicken up and, and regenerate. I've got some some TSI planned for this later this winter and some spring with some selective cutting, um, getting rid of some invasive, invasive species, some burning. But really all I've been doing in the last two years is just kind of taking some of those natural openings in the pasture um pulling out trees cutting trees moving brush really open up food um areas to plant food because this farm is void of food uh there's zero row crop on here whatsoever all the row crop right now is enrolled crp and i've got like six more years on that contract so it's going to be a matter of time before i can get a lot of food here so it's just been creating areas for um, perennial and annual food plots more than anything else. And then just trying to really monitor cameras and just see what these deer are doing, how they use the farm and the topography to try to figure them out. And I mean, it's going to take, it's going to take still a couple more years, I think, before I really get them dialed in. Yeah. Um, but we're getting closer. You learn something new every day. Yeah. So, so, so lots, lots and lots of skid loader work, lots of tractor work, you know, putting in natural water holes, just trying to give them everything I can in a limited amount of time because I just need time more than anything. Yeah. So with that said, then, did you plant any food? Because you do have a certain allocation of uh, area that you can dedicate to food plots on your CRP contract. Did you take advantage of that and actually plant any food plots specific for whitetails? You know what? Unfortunately, my CRP practice, which is pollinator, does not allow for oh, food plot planting. Okay. So I, I don't get the 10% or up to five acres max, whichever is first. Uh, so, no, I'm 100%. My CRP is CRP. I can't touch it. So I haven't been able to do that. So I've that's why the skid loader and the tractor have really come into play. And I've opened up as many flat natural areas that can to plant while then also creating a a really large sanctuary that I just, I only go in, you know, like everybody just to recover a deer and maybe shed hunt once or twice a year. So it's trying to, trying to establish those, those real private areas of the farm that just don't have any intrusion. Uh, I've got a lot of public ground around me, which is good and bad. Obviously there's extra pressure there, but they also push deer into my farm. So just trying to understand that dynamic as well has been interesting. Yeah, it sounds like you're you're really trying to be a sponge 
and just observe as much and learn as much as possible. That's yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So back, uh, you know, on our, our conversation earlier, we, we talked a little bit about, um, you not necessarily identifying any quote unquote hit listers or shooters until that August, September timeframe this past September during, you know, during that time frame this year, did you identify any deer that you're like, all right, if he comes by, he's getting an arrow. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. There were, there were two bucks on this home farm. Um, and one of the ones I, I, I shot on the, on the, on the Friday after Thanksgiving. So that worked out excellent. Uh, and then I kind of handy like everybody, a couple shooters on each farm. Um, and I was actually fortunate enough to kill my number one bucks on two other farms, one with my late muzzleloader tag and then one, one with my statewide archery tag. So you so, had, you had a three buck season here in Iowa. I did my, Yeah. This is my, my first three buck season. Yep. That's awesome. So let me ask you this with the, you know, you, you had three tags in your pocket, you know, in your pocket. And as you started to kill deer, number one, kill deer, number two, was there a, a, um, a time when you said to yourself, man, I'm already, I've already filled two buck tags, shot two great deer. Um, maybe I should just let this third one slide and maybe that deer, that, that other deer could get bigger next year. Or did you say to yourself, Hey, why not? Cause there's only so much wall space a guy can have, you know, to hang, hang mounts and stuff. Then no, you're, you're absolutely right with that. And, and I guess my feeling on the, there, there's always next year, I'm kind of a bird in hand. If it's a mature deer and, and he's active and I feel like I can get him killed, like, I'm going to go after him. That's good. Point. I guess I, I have, I, I have the, I have the opportunity to, to back off if I, you know, if I get the opportunity to shoot him, but I've had too many deer that I thought I'd be able to hunt next year that either just died from a tough winter, you know, got run down by coyotes, just died naturally of old age. I mean, you just never know why they're not there the next year. And I've kind of just, I don't know, it's maybe a little, internal rule that i have it's like if, if i want to shoot them in november if i've got a tag in end of december january i'm, I'm gonna go try to go get them because they may not be there next year yeah um I, and that's just that's just how i operate everybody's a little bit different i'm not in a I'm, I'm not hunting in super highly managed neighborhoods where there's lots and lots of five six seven year old deer um I, that just doesn't really exist in, in kind of the counties and the areas that I hunt in. And, and I'm, and I kind of cover Western Iowa. I'm basically Des Moines West all the way to the Missouri river. So I've got all the Western part of the state, a lot smaller blocks of timber, a lot of ag land. Yeah. And it's just, you know, we just don't have these big neighbor managed neighborhoods with lots and lots of security cover for these deer to get old. So yeah. I, if I can, if I can get them, I'm going after them. Yeah. Do you guys, do you see the benefit? Because I, I know what Western Iowa is like, you know, a lot more ag, a lot less security cover. Like you mentioned, once that, uh, crops come out, do you notice uh, an increase in volume of deer in these wooded areas? Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. And this year with the early harvest of the dry conditions, I mean, they were cutting corn in early to mid October. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty rare. Usually a lot of our corn harvest is until end of October into early to mid November. 
so we got like a two to three week bump this year in deer stuff in the timber. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. It was a great year. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Western Iowa st- suffered kind of a, a, an intense drought this year too, right? They, they did. So I'm based out of Guthrie County and, and Guthrie County and Adair and some of the surrounding counties, we were classified as drought conditions. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people were able to cut their CRP, cut and bail their CRP for, for feed um, and bedding without any penalty with the, you know, from the FSA office. So yeah, we were super, super dry this year. Yeah. Did you notice lack of rain? I mean, did you notice or trail camera pictures? I mean, do you feel that antler jump was smaller this year? Does that make sense? Like the, the increased size of antlers? Cause I, I've seen really good lush, wet summers, not flood stage, but not drought mm-hmm. where it's just really consistent rain all the time. And that's resulted in really green, lush vegetation all summer long. And they, their antlers get big, you know, bigger than an average year. Did you notice anything like that on the opposite end, you know, with the drought? You know what? I mean, maybe not specifically, um, but it doesn't mean it didn't happen. I mean, what's hard to predict is in a good year would, would this year put on 10 or 12 or 15 right. inches and right. this year only put on 10. Like it's, it's really tough to say. Um, I think as hunters, we always want them to be as absolutely big as possible and, and always wish they were bigger than what they were. But I think, I think everything was really healthy here. I mean, we still have, we still had adequate moisture. All the rivers and creeks and springs were still running for the most part. So moisture wasn't a problem, but, but to your point, there wasn't the moisture in the vegetation yeah. that we would have had in a, in a, in a normal year. So right. I'm probably not the best one to answer that question on how that directly impacts or affects antler growth, but I'm sure it's got to have some impact yeah. and it can't be positive. Yeah. All right. So leading in into that, you mentioned you had some, you know, some shooters on camera, um, what was your, when, when did you start getting daylight activity on your trail cameras that kind of led you to say, okay, I'm going to actively start hunting a, a particular farm or a particular deer? Well, for me, I think the, the technology that's out there now with these cell based cameras, I mean, just totally change, changes the way I hunt in my strategies. Um, you know, I'll deploy those and, really good spots. And, and when I start seeing solid movement there, I, I definitely get a little bit more focused on getting in there and getting in a tree. Although, however, you know, these cameras only see just a small slice right. of the farm and you also can't gauge your activities and your strategy a hundred percent just based on the Intel that comes off these cameras. So it's kind of just, I, I guess it's kind of a, a feel and an interpretation of the images and the photos you're getting. Yeah. Uh, but traditionally, I usually don't really get serious about hunting whitetails until the last week of October. Okay. Um, that's kind of a, a key time where I get started. Um, if I had a good deer that was consistent the first week of October, I mean, I'd be all over it. I would not hunt then. I just, for whatever reason, just haven't ever really been able to, to get a good shooter consistent enough for me to put pressure on my farms that early. So it's usually last couple of days of October, you know, sometimes we do get a cold front that time of year and that's always magical. And, and this year we were blessed with awesome cold weather in October. Yeah. Which got me in a tree, which got me in a tree much earlier. But, uh, 
yeah, usually usually end of October is when I get really focused, and and by then, I've got lots of movement of big deer all cool. over the place. Cool. Um, so you you focus on that last uh, you know that last couple weeks or that last week of October um, from a business standpoint. Are you busy showing farms during the the actual hunting season? Does that impact your strategy at all? You know what? This year was a little bit different where I, I was busier in October, November than I'd probably like to be. Um, normally, though, I mean, we can kind of be pretty flexible with our schedule. And a lot of the clients that we show farms to, I mean, they want to be in a tree the same time we want to be in a tree. So. Right we're really busy through September and, and maybe into the first part of the season, but we start getting pretty rut, rut time period. I mean, we, we've got a lot of time on our hands to, to spend in the tree. Yeah. Uh, things get really busy again this time of year. and We'll go like crazy all through the summer, but October, late October, November, December, we've, we've got plenty and ample time gotcha. to hunt. Gotcha. All right. So um, coming into this late October timeframe, then um, did you, did you get any intel that led to you making a decision to get on, you know, hey, time to time to hunt this farm right now? Yeah, yeah. So I picked up a new farm this year to hunt. Um, I was able to run cameras on it all summer. I had a pretty good idea of what was there, but it says this farm actually is, is surrounded by a bunch of other large private land, land ownership farms, really good genetics, really good neighborhood area. And I actually had a couple of our other agents uh, with Whitetail Properties coming in. They, they drew non-resident tags this year. Uh, one of them was an agent out of Ohio and another one out of uh, New York. So I kind of set this farm aside for them when they came out. And they came basically like October 30th, I think, is when Adam rolled into town. And we hunted on the 31st. And Adam killed a really good deer, uh, like two o'clock in the afternoon on Halloween. And then one of our other local agents here, a partner of mine, Tyson Smith, he actually killed on the same farm that morning at like nine 30 in the morning. So October 31st, Halloween was an awesome, awesome day. We saw four or five big shooters that day. I mean, there was bucks fighting, chasing, breeding. I mean, it was on, on the 31st, man. I tell you what, man, I am. I don't want to rush time, right? Because I love, I love my kids and we do Halloween every year, but I am, I can't wait for the time where I no longer have to do trick or treating because every (laughs) single year and this is no joke. Every single year in daylight around that 28th to that 31st timeframe, there is a big mature buck on camera on one of my farms who shows up and I'm not there because I'm, you know, Mm -hmm. handing out candy, but you know, yeah, man, I don't want to jinx myself and put bad vibes out in the world. I'm just saying, I'm looking forward to the day where I don't have to do trick or treating anymore. I I do agree. I I (laughs) always have, I always have mature bucks daylight. Yeah. And not just like daylight, not like the last five minutes of daylight, like, like an hour before dark daylight movement hitting primary scrapes, edges, yep. you know, food sources, those last three, four, five days. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's like, so I, it's I, time I, to let I, everybody I know I'm here and uh, I'm in charge. Yep. So I'm going to make a lap. Yep, exactly. So, exactly. All right. So your buddies, and came, for me, go ahead. 
Oh, I was going to say for me too, a lot of my strategy, like I really like pre rut and post rut. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd say my favorite time to hunt really is like the 15th through Thanksgiving through the end of November. I mean that, I know a lot of guys take their vacation and they, they like being in a tree kind of during that peak breeding and lockdown. But I'll be honest, I kind of go back to the office and get some work done for five, six, seven days, you know, from about the, you know, eighth or ninth to about the 15th. Yeah. I just kind of, I go back to work. I just let the deer do what they do. Cause that's such a frustrating time. I mean, if you're in the right spot, if you're on the X, you've got action or you can just sit there all day and just not see a whole lot of anything. Yeah. So, I I like pre and post personally. Yeah, man, that rut, you know, I, I, I get now and the older I get, the more patient I get, uh, when it comes to making decisions. Um, I always love to be out in the, in the timber November 1st, right. And, and get after it, but you nailed it right on the head, man. When you say like, if, if you're not the rut can, can suck if you are not on that X because there's a vacuum, you know, wherever those hot does are at that is where those, mm-hmm. those big bucks are going to be. And, uh, man, I've, uh, I've definitely fallen victim to that. And my trail camera pictures also agree to the, um, to what you said, man, the 15th and after that is when I get those, those big mature bucks coming off their, however many doe that they've bred and yeah. then they start putting on those miles, right? They're, they're, they're dumb, they're sure. exhausted and they're making laps. And, and they're frantic. Yeah. I almost feel like there's like this, there's, they're frantic. They're trying to find that one last doe. And like you said, man, they are, they're putting miles on. I mean, they are, they're going on their excursions. They're leaving their home range. You'll be pick. I mean, you'll lose bucks off your farm the same way, but you'll pick up a bunch of new ones. And yeah, yeah that's, that's probably to me, one of the most exciting times is just cause you don't know what's going to show up at that time. Yeah. I need some, I need some self-discipline. I need to like put a restriction on myself and say, okay, maybe I should go take my South Dakota trip the first week of November before their gun season starts, then come back to Iowa and hunt my, my farm the 15th to Thanksgiving. I I would a hundred percent do that if I were you, especially with as good as the rut is in South Dakota. Yeah. I mean that, that, that week leading up to their rifle season, which usually starts what, like around that 10th or so in November. Yeah. I mean, is, and that's, that's always been the trade off, right? Is like we always try to be here or somewhere in the Midwest. Some of the guys that hunt with in South Dakota, we always want to be home in November. So we're, we're always there in, you know, mid to late October and the hunting's good, but it's never as good as it would be in November. Yeah. But we, we kind of all agreed this year. We're like, you know what, next year we're going to be in South Dakota from the, third of november just until rifle season yeah. and then we'll come home see i'm a i'm a, ad, a south dakota advocate too because i i number one i love g- going out there now when you go out there are you chasing whitetails or are you in mule deer country too we're, we're in both we're, we're fortunate that we've got we've got both a good population of whitetails and mule deer on, yeah. on the farms we hunt and it's really just we never know what the hunt's going to be. Some years it's always a mule deer hunt. I mean, just cause it's different and it's fun and it's spot and stock. Yeah. But the quality of the whitetail hunting has been getting better and better out there every yeah. year. And we've really found ourselves kind of whitetail hunting the last couple of years, more than mule deer hunting. Just because that, that's what was, a, that's the mature buck in the area or on that farm that year are, are white, big whitetails. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Gotcha. Yep. Cool. All right, so your buddies ended up uh, shooting a couple deer, um, and you know, you said you like to hold off a little bit. Um, when did you get personally get in the stand and really start getting after it after these deer that you ended up, you know, shooting? Yeah. So actually, with kind of funny story is so Adam killed on Halloween. Um, we had at least here, I think you probably had it in even in Eastern Iowa, but lots of South winds. Absolutely. Early, early in November. Um, this farm sets up really well for South and the spot he killed in is just, it's just one of those magical trees. Like when I hung the set back in late August or early September, I was like, man, this, this could either be perfect with the wind or it could be one of those spots. It's kind of down this bottom. And I usually don't hunt bottoms in the timber just because the winds can be inconsistent. But the way that this draw fed through, I felt like with at least a straight south, our winds were going to be good. And, and, and that held to be true. So I went back actually on November 3rd to the same tree uh, that Adam killed in. And actually Adam was still here. He hadn't gone back home yet. He was just hanging out. We've been making hunter sticks and processing his deer. And we went back in the same tree and I shot a buck that, that basically the next set in that tree that morning at like, I don't know, half an hour after sunrise. So what, tell me, talk to me about the terrain features that make this particular stand so good. So there's, there's a big drainage that probably runs and, and I guess big's all relative. Maybe big, this isn't maybe big for Eastern Iowa, but here again with limited timber, there's probably a drainage that runs like, maybe a mile and a half north and south, all big hardwood timber, and it feeds into uh, the middle Raccoon River in Guthrie County. Yep. And there's just lots of little finger drainages and, and big ridges that run into it. And this is like almost right on the river. It's almost like the the drainage kind of widens out. There's a flat down in this timber. And, and where these different draws come together, there's an old like giant culvert back in the timber where the story from the landowner is back in like the thirties and forties when the river was much smaller, there was a bridge. They used to take the combine and tractors across the river. And there's this culvert going over this drainage, which makes this perfect bridge and travel corridor where it's just really easy for these deer to just cruise up and down. And I just happened to find this spot just back in September when we were scouting. And I'm like, man, this is just going to be dynamite. Um, and we hung a set for a South wind and man, it just, every time we went in there, which really wasn't that often, but we were just always covered up in deer and always covered up in big deer. So it was just kind of the culmination of how these ridges fed down and how they would travel from one side of this drainage to the other. They kind of always passed within 80 or 90 yards of this tree. So we were just, just like I said, just covered up in deer. Yeah. And so would you say it's more of a, a travel corridor or were you close to betting at all? Yeah, hundred percent travel corridor. Yeah. Um, this is all big hardwood timber, uh, kind of the, the, the drainage that ran into the river. There was some nice canary grass and kind of some thicker grasses and brush and willows that were near us, but not really bedding necessarily. Never really saw any deer bedding. It was just good, solid habitat and cover. Uh, but we were, yeah, just in a transition from hardwood ridges on one side of the farm to hardwoods on the other side of the farm. And during the rut, they were just cruising back and forth from one side to the other. Gotcha. How many, uh, probably go ahead. 
I, I was going to say, if you try to hunt that spot late season, A, you can never get in there. But even if you could, you might not even see a deer from that stand. You know, but during the rut, it's an excellent spot. Yeah. Um, does it does it pinch down at all? Or is it just like that? that is where they're traveling? You know, that's where they're traveling. And the, the pinches are these kind of these deep, natural draws okay uh, that are pretty steep and, and the topography is what funnels them through this spot and by this tree gotcha all yeah. right so um so that's where buck number one came from right and did you know about him did you have any history with him throughout the summer trail cam picks yeah yeah i got a got a bunch of trail cam picks of him and that was actually he's just this really big massive nine pointer um, with some little trash and stickers and some extra little points. He was really, really a cool deer. Um, so he was, he was definitely high on the list. And, uh, and again, I only ran cameras for, you know, a few weeks on that farm during the summer and, and, and had some inventory of bucks, but knew there was a lot more there than what we had pictures of. But it turns out that I did have a number of pictures and video of the deer I killed. Nice. So, so that's the third, that was the third buck taken off of that specific property, right? Yeah, in like four days. Right. So even yeah. even after you guys took those three bucks off the off the farm, were there still any other shooters on that farm that you said, "Hey, man, I got I got some other tags I could potentially fill it on." You know what there there were because the the morning of that Halloween morning, I think we probably saw three for sure, maybe four bucks that I would put at five or older. Um, all very mature, like good shooters. But wow. again, we were, we had a, we had that perfect scenario. We were on the X that morning. We yeah. had a hot doe. I mean, there was, there were bucks fighting, chasing like full on, full on fights. I mean, yeah. it was, it was an amazing morning. So there were other deer on that farm. Cool. But you couldn't have shot other than a uh, muzzleloader or shotgun tag. You couldn't have hunted that because you t- you used your statewide tag uh, on that, right? That's right. Right. So That's now right. so yep. now you're limited to your your uh your other tag, your uh landowner's tag. So landowner's tag. So what did you do after that? Did you go back to work a little bit and just monitor trail cameras on your on your home farm or did you instantly start hunting your home farm again? No, I I, I waited. I definitely waited. Um at the time I kind of had like the, I guess I was getting pictures on my home farm of a lot of the same deer I had in the summer. And there was, you know, a couple deer that I wanted to go after, but I just didn't have anything super consistent. So I moved some cameras around, um, kind of changed things around for kind of that post rut, um, put, uh, put a camera down in my sanctuary, which, you know, kind of a little bit went, went against some of my, you know, strategies and rules for the farm, but I did hang, an interior like deep in my home farm set back in March, uh, right on, right on a property line or near my property line on the North side of my sanctuary. And it's just a awesome, awesome spot. And I was hoping to take advantage of some of that post rut cruising movement from some of the neighboring farms. So that was kind of my strategy there. Um, was hoping that, you know, if I, if I could get the right winds and it's, I need a really specific, I need a west wind and it's got to be blowing 10 to 15 
if it's light and variable, I'm too close to a bedding area there. And, and that's another set where you, if you're going in there, you got to get in early and you're staying all day. So I really kind of waited till I had the right series of wins in a row before I went in there. And I, and I had to wait till, uh, like I hunted it the day before Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving morning. And I would have hunted all day, but it's Thanksgiving. So you got to come out. And then I went back on Friday and connected. Gotcha. So, and this is a right off the edge of your sanctuary or actually in your sanctuary? Well, I mean, I guess I kind of leave the whole north half of my farm as a sanctuary. I mean, my sanctuary is technically probably 35 to 40 acres. Okay. Um, and this would be, this would be, let's, let's just call this the edge. Okay. Uh, so, so then I'm trying to think here. Okay. So you have, um, it's, it's the, the Friday after the, the Friday after Thanksgiving, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the Friday after Thanksgiving, you get back in there. What specifically about this area from a terrain feature standpoint makes it so attractive and, and allowed deer to come through your area? So the, the north part of my farm is kind of a, a mixture of uh, like black walnut, big white oaks, hickory, and then all this just multi-floral rose underbrush and just a lot of thickets and cedars, like little islands. So I call them like islands and cedars or maybe 10, 12 cedars in a thicket. And then there'd be a, a you know, space before another one, this, these clumps of cover. Yeah. And it's really where the majority of the deer on our farm bed. That's why I made it a sanctuary. And I realized that the very first year we had the farm when I walked it with snow on the ground. I mean, it was just clearly the bedding area. Yeah. So I have this set hung right on the, what I'd call the very edge of it. And it's a location that I can sneak into relatively easy and quiet, but you got to get in there really early in the morning. I mean, I, I would be in the tree 45 to 50 minutes before even first light. I mean, so that's even another half an hour before shooting. I mean, you really got to be committed to get into this spot, but I get in there and, and it's just one of those magical spots where with the right wind, you're pretty invincible and you're going to see a ton of wildlife. In fact, the biggest issue with hunting that spot is I was overrun with coyotes. Like every time I hunted it, like one morning I saw seven different mature coyotes come through, man. So they're har- they're harassing the deer. The deer were really unsettled, and it was just a rodeo in yeah. there with those coyotes. I was, you know, I'm trying to shoot the coyotes and not spook the deer. It was just a it was just a mess. Yeah. So I got a couple uh, sets or areas on on the farm that I hunt where you have to get in there early because if uh, the deer are already working their way back to the bedding areas and. and and this particular example, it's a pinch point between the the food source, the ag uh, field, and the bedding areas. And I got to get in there early because if sometimes the deer will be working their way through, you know, before daylight for a morning hunt. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get in there, mm-hmm. if you don't get in there early enough, you're going to bump them going in. Um, so I have to, I have a couple stands just like what you mentioned, where you got to get in there early, and basically you're just sitting listening to the wind blow uh, in the in the yeah. dark. So I'll tell you though, it's, that's my favorite hunt though. I mean, I, I love those potential all day sets. Yeah. Like I love just being prepared to be there all day. Yeah. Um, I never used to be that way. I'd always just want to like pop in for a quick hunt and, 
you know, humpy afternoons because it's easy. But I mean, I'll take a, I'll take an early morning or an all day sit all day long, Ooh, especially know. when you're going into one of those spots, just because you just don't know what's going to show up. If you get yeah. in right and don't spook everything and have the right wind, I mean, those are magical, magical days. Yeah, there, there are some times where I'll, you know, I'll do just exactly what you said, and the, you know, the the predominant winds what you want it to be. The thermals are doing what you want it to be, uh, what them to do. And then, uh, 11 o'clock hits. And then I'm just like, Oh, I can't do it. <laughs> like, I cannot do it. I don't know what it is. I cannot sit all day long. It, it, I don't know. It's almost like maybe I'm not mentally tough enough, but there is a time comes when you can feel the, the warmth of the day, or something yeah. like that, that morning coolness dissipates, you know, the doe groups or the bucks or you know, whatever, the, the deer movement has already come through the area and then it just shuts off for a little bit and mm-hmm. maybe I'm crazy, but I just can't do it, man. Oh yeah. I think you're crazy, man. You got to stick it out. <laughs> you got to be there from like, you know, 1030 to two is like such a magical window. Have I you ever killed it? Have you ever that. killed a deer? between 10 30 and two uh we did on we did on halloween this year two o'clock 150 150 bumped the dough right by the tree okay um on the third and, and you know i've had i've had a lot of big shooters come through i can't say that i've actually personally connected on one then but yeah. as far as encounters and sightings I, yeah I've, I've had some really really cool bucks on their feet that time that time period okay maybe maybe this upcoming year i'll try it one day but i doubt it <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll text you right I'll text you like you just have to clock, are you still in the tree yeah well you what you need to do is you need to text me and then say today's the day you need to sit all day and you know all the, the right. conditions are right or whatever and then hopefully i'm tagged out by then <laughs> exactly so, exactly um so that's deer number two on your home farm. So is, is this the first buck that you've killed on your home farm? It is. All right. Yep. All right. Yep. Cool, man. What's that feel like when it's your own property? You know what? It definitely felt different. It really did. I mean, I don't want to say I was, you know, super emotional about it, but it was like, it, it just, it had a different feel. Um, and I shot the deer, I mean, it was, it was maybe only like an hour after daylight. It was relatively early in the morning. He, he, he bumped a doe right underneath me. It was like a 21 yard shot, like chip shot, like made a great shot on him. He, he, he ran away and I gave it a few minutes, you know, texted my wife and this is obviously a real special place for her too. So I got down and my rule of thumb is if I don't see him fall, like in sight, then I just give them four or five hours. Just that's just my automatic rule, even though I know me, I knew I made a good shot. So we came back, had a late breakfast, hung out. And I think around like one thirty or two, we jumped in the gator and, and drove into the sanctuary and started tracking them. And she was there tracking them with me and we recovered them together. And which was, I don't know, it was really cool. A lot of times I'm, you know, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour from home. And I'm doing all this on my, on my own or, or with someone else. But this was really the first time she's recovered a deer with me. And it was the first deer on our farm. So it was, it was special. It was really cool. That's awesome, man. So, but the, the season is not over yet. And I wish I'm going to pull up, I'm going to pull up your Instagram real quick 
And I'm going to read the first sentence of the, you know, from the trophy picture that you took. Sometimes the best yep. hunting strategy is not to, uh, uh, is to not hunt at all. Okay. I want you, I want you to explain what that means. So the, uh, when I mentioned earlier, I've got some farms where I've got great summer pictures and into early fall and then the rut, they leave me that that's this farm where I killed this deer to a T and actually it's happened to me year after year. My home body bucks this year weren't incredibly impressive. Wasn't anything that I really wanted to put a ton of time in because I had these other farms that I'm hunting now that had better deer. I just left that farm alone, did not hunt it a day in October, hunted it one evening with a buddy trying to shoot a doe in, in November, but put zero pressure on this piece. We just left this farm be. It's a couple hundred acre farm. It's not huge, but it's big enough to hold a lot of deer. And this farm for the area has by far the best bedding and late season security cover around. I mean, I've, I've been able to walk a lot of the surrounding farms looking for sheds. I know a lot of the neighbors and this farm is the best farm from a cover perspective. This year also the, the crop rotation was ideal and we had some, some corn, uh, that basically butted right up to the thick bedding area. So I just left the property alone. I ran three or four different cell cameras on it on all ends of the farm to be able to kind of monitor what's going on. And on December 6th, so as the second day of first shotgun season, I got a picture like a evening picture, like basically still shooting light picture of the deer I killed. Okay. So he showed up on the, on December 6th. And I probably got a picture of him, I mean, I can't say every day, but nearly every other day I'd get pictures of this deer. And sometimes it'd be in one night, I'd have pictures of him on three out of four cameras. Like he was all over the farm, but I felt like he was never really leaving the farm. Yeah. So it was just a matter of time. I, I, I kind of, I take a pass on the shotgun one and shotgun two seasons. I really like late muzzleloader. And it was just a matter of waiting for muzzleloader season to, to get here and then uh i was going down to visit my mother and sister they both live in florida so we went down there for the holidays so we were gone from the 21st the first day of muzzleloader season until sunday the 27th so it wasn't until like the 28th i could actually get out and hunt them yeah so this is always the the topic for bow hunters in iowa or late season hunters in iowa do you feel that shotgun pressure in, in the surrounding areas and you leaving your farm alone led to this buck coming and, and making his home there during that late season time frame. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent agree that. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he showed up on the sixth, he could have showed up on the 10th, but it would have been from pressure because the surrounding farms do get pressure. They, they, you know, they'll have groups to run through there. Usually, you know, at least, at least during one of the shotgun seasons, one or two, you know, big groups will push those out. And I think, you know, this deer ran onto, ran onto this farm. There's a bunch of calm deer, you know, no human scent, no pressure, you know, no deer blowing, no deer running. I mean, they, he just, he just settled right in Yeah. and ne- never left. Yeah. Was there any standing, standing crops on the farm that you hunt? You know, this one, no standing. Um, when I've got a, a bean rotation, I usually uh, 
pay the pay the farmer to leave four or five acres of standing beans. But this year with corn, he planted some some really interesting like hybrid variety. It's almost like a, almost like an Indian corn, if you will. It's, but it's all like red, so he had to harvest all that. But his maybe his equipment's a little bit older than most, and and he <laughs> tends to leave some grain. Yeah. So there there was there was lots of food, lots of food there, and, and he probably had there was maybe fifty to fifty five acres of of cut corn. So lots and lots of food on the ground. Yeah. So, so it worked when, out really good. When you went in there and started hunting it, were the deer pounding that that food? They they were. Um they'd been really pounding it pretty hard and then I guess it would have been a, that Tuesday after I came home, we had that big snowstorm roll through pretty much all of Iowa. Maybe on like the twenty ninth, I guess it would have been. Yeah. Of December. We got five or six inches of snow here on the 29th, and then following that was a nice high pressure, and I hunted, the first night I hunted him was the 30th. Yeah, and so how many days until you connected with him? Well, he came out, you know, in range, in muzzleloader range, the, the night of the 30th, the first night. Uh, it was a phenomenal hunt. We saw a ton of deer, actually more deer. Uh, came out of the bedding area than I would have ever thought. I think I had like 65 deer out in front of me, Ooh. all within you know a few hundred yards, which was crazy. I, I didn't think that farm would have that many deer on it, but I think it's a testament of just leaving it alone and, and some of the pressure around. And he came out in shooting light, but like where he came out, and, and maybe I wasn't quick enough on the gun to be ready. I, I feel like I was, but I, I think I anticipated that he would just come out and feed, and I just get a nice shot and just be real easy but he kind of came out and he just walked dead away up this up this fingered grassy draw and just never gave me like a great shot and then he just got farther and farther and farther away and eventually he just kind of fed out of range and i ran out of shooting light and we just had to sneak out of there uh for the next day yeah so we came back the, the next day which was uh new year's eve the 31st uh, and that time he came out uh, 10 or 15 minutes before daylight and he came right out and gave me a great shot and connected and made pretty quick work of that. So I was, I was really fortunate because I, I knew that first night, the first night on a farm is always going to be your best opportunity. The conditions were perfect. And he came out, he just didn't give me the shot I was looking for. And the next night the wind wasn't quite as good. There was, it, the wind was kind of variable and I hate hunting those almost no wind nights. And yeah. we got picked off by a doe early. And I really thought, I thought he was, I just didn't think he was going to show up in daylight. I thought that was it. Yeah. When she busted us and ran, I thought it was game over. And I was, I was definitely frustrated. And about 10, 15 minutes later, boom, he steps out of the bedding area. And I was like, Oh my gosh, here we go. How, how so, long, uh, I guess, how early did he pop out? Was it right towards last light or, or was he giving him? Was he giving you some time to make some moves if if necessary? You know what? Yeah, he gave us he gave us some time. I think I think that night, like shooting hours, like maybe like five twenty eight. I think it was just before five thirty. And I would say he was out of the bedding area and in the field by maybe five after five after five. Okay. So plenty, you know, twenty to twenty five minutes almost before before shooting, and, and then with the snow on the ground too, it makes it everything easier as well so yeah. yeah he was he moved plenty early yeah so night. so was he was he on a routine did you feel i mean did you 
did you almost know he was in there and know he was coming out at that point and feeding in, in there and it was just a matter of time? I, I did. I mean, on that food source, I had I had a, a, a Reconic cell cam kind of right on the edge of the bedding area. And then I also had one in this finger draw that kind of comes up, this kind of the grassy draw comes up into the field. And leading up to, like, even the last few days I was in Florida before I came home, I mean, I was getting pictures of this deer nearly every day on those cameras. Yeah. And the morning of the 30th, I had him at, like, 8 o'clock in the morning, so well past sunrise, walking by that camera, going back into the bedding area. Uh, then he came out that night. We got pictures of him and couldn't shoot him. Then on the morning of the 31st when I shot him, I had a picture of him at the exact same time walking by that camera coming back into the bedding area and i mean within 40 seconds from the day before he walked by that camera on the same trail i mean he was just like clockwork yeah he was punching in i knew i he was punching in i mean he was bedded probably within 150 200 yards of that camera i knew he was going to come out it's just which trails he coming out on am i going to get a shot but i i mean i knew he was going to come back out i mean and it's not always the case but on this particular deer, I felt very, very confident. You know, high level of confidence I was going to get a shot at this deer. That's awesome, man. Well, let me tell you, congratulations on one hell of a season, dude. You're going to have to build uh, an addition on your house just to hang these deer in it. <laughs> well, I guess, man, it's, it's, it's all worth it. Yeah. That's what we got to do. That's what we got to do. That's a fact, man. Well, congratulations on one hell of a year, a memorable year, especially with you taking the first buck off your home farm. And uh, I wish you many more like that, man. So thanks for taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, share these stories with us. Absolutely, Dan. Anytime. And look forward to hearing all your stories next year as well. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Huge shout out to Garrett. I really appreciate him taking time out of his busy day to hop on and share that story with us. And I, I know I say this all the time, but Jesus, guys, I, I, I really appreciate your attention. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to download and listen to the Nine Finger Chronicles, to download and listen to all of the episodes that come out of the Sportsman's Nation. Man, I really appreciate that. Please follow along on social, not only the Nine Finger Chronicles and the Sportsman's Nation, but all of the uh, brands and podcasts that are on the network. Uh, I'd really appreciate that. And uh, lastly, man, uh, I, I said this on one of my last episodes, good vibes, good vibes out, good vibes in. I think I'm going to roll with that for a little bit because uh, it kind of means a lot. You put good vibes out into the universe. You're going to get good vibes sent back to you. Absorb that. Be a good person. Be positive. Spread positivity and uh, get outside. And we will talk to you next time. Thank you.